This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 34, recorded December 8th, 2010. Mary conceived without sin. Welcome to Prayer Room Companion. I am your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And today, Father, uh, when I was recording this, it is... Um, wait, what am I doing? I'm forgetting pre-serious conversation banter. What are you, what are you doing? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, you're obviously very distracted. Whoa, whoa. How, how's the weather in Wilberkings, Father? <laughs> it's December. It's cold. <laughs> Maybe that's why you forgot the uh, pre-serious banter, because it's cold. Yes, yes. What's, what's Unappealing. This is, actually, kind of, it's, kind, it's definitely kind of a moisture cold today. Um, and the fact that when it, uh, when there's more moisture in there, the cold feels colder, the hot feels hotter. And it's definitely one of those colder, cold days. Colder, cold days. I, mm-hmm. uh, as I typically do, I have my window shades closed just because it gets too bright in here. But that means I can't see the winter wonderland that we've got outside. But it also keeps me from seeing the dark brown trees, which aren't to look at. <laughs> There was a little, uh, there's a little frosting on the trees this morning up here. So. Yeah, and and uh, if I was talking, I was talking with Father about my trip up. Well, actually, beyond where he is in Brookings to Watertown this last weekend, um, and and that's one thing I did notice was the 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 precipitation that you'd had Friday and Saturday um, made the trees actually they were very beautiful to look at, but the roads weren't so beautiful to drive on. <laughs> So. But Watertown's had uh, a good six inches of snow so far, haven't they? Or? Well, they they had definitely more than well, I think more than Brookings had as I was driving through, and more than mm-hmm. more than Sioux Falls. So it was a nice white uh, coating of snow or whatever of snow up in Watertown, definitely. So, and as coincidence would have it, Father, do you know what parish I was at in Watertown on Saturday? Ah, uh, were you at Holy Name? I was not. Oh well, were you at? Uh, Mother of God Monastery? I was not. Oh. Um, Holy Rosary in Kranzburg? No. Warmer in one sense. <laughs> yeah, warmer would be nice. Uh, what is it? Immaculate Conception? It was indeed. Oh, hey. How about that? Because today is Father mm-hmm. and I are recording. As I was about to say before I forgot the... the uh, uh, introductory banter. Today we're recording on uh, Wednesday, December 8th, 2011, and it is, of course, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> introductory banter on the podcast is kind of like when you were taking uh, an essay <laughs> test in college, and uh, you knew that you had to fill up maybe so much of the page, <laughs> so you would rewrite the question and <laughs> the answer to make sure you could fill up more of the page and make your answer look more impressive. Absolutely. <sighs> yes, that's 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 what we do here. We have we have really Father and I don't have much to say, so we fill time needlessly with uh, introductory banter. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. So, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. One we recall how Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb miraculously, right? Wrong. Oh, wrong. Again, I'm wrong. Not even partial credit on that one. <laughs> what? Doesn't my banter give me something? <laughs> no. I see through your banter. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, in all seriousness, I, I think it's easy, easy for... Uh, even Catholics to forget the the true nature of the solemnity um, that we're celebrating. 
it, it is certainly other Christians who who, who don't uh, observe the feast or or believe necessarily in the doctrine behind it. Um, get confused about its meaning, but even I think Catholics uh, can be confused about what we celebrate on this feast day. So, Father, enlighten me. I got it wrong. What, what's the correct answer? Well, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is the feast honoring that supreme and unique gift of God to the Blessed Virgin Mary at the first moment of her existence in her mother's womb when she was conceived naturally by her parents uh, and in Joachim. And from that first moment of her existence, God protected her from original sin in both its guilt and its effects. Right. So, and we see that just in the title of the feast itself, Immaculate. So Mary was conceived immaculately, uh, not, not, not virginally as Jesus was in her womb, but as you said, naturally um, uh, by her parents in the normal way. But unlike our conceptions in our mother's wombs, uh, when Mary first began to exist in, in Anne's womb, uh, she was completely without sin. Um, original sin obviously in particular and free therefore from its effects as well and that's what we're celebrating on this feast not jesus's conception not mary's birth either um we are celebrating uh, her conception in the womb of her mother uh in, in a miraculous way insofar as that she insofar as she is uh, without sin uh, Father, what do you? I mean, do you run into? I mean, the the, the years. Well, I mean, even before, prior to your priesthood, uh, in your experience, is there much confusion on the part of Catholics about that, or or do, do most of them that you've talked about this with tend to, to understand and get what this solemnity is about? Uh, I think you, you run into the confusion in that way from time to time. Um, different people being being confused. I think a lot of people will, since it is so close to Christmas. Um, they want to confuse it with uh, the uh, uh, virginal conception of Jesus, which really we separate nine months before Christmas, right. on, uh, the Feast of the Annunciation, March 25th. Remember uh, from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, uh, when Angel Gabriel appears to our, uh, our Blessed Mother. And it's also can be confusing because uh, the gospel at this Mass that we use today is uh, from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, that encounter between uh, Gabriel and Mary as well. The, but the, in the Annunciation, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's maybe reasons to be confused, but uh, there's no need to be confused. Absolutely. So this is... So this is obviously a very uh, a Marian feast. I mean, its, its object is the fact that Mary was conceived um, without sin. Uh, but but it's certainly as as the Church says of all her Marian teachings, it's oriented uh, towards Christ. Um, the reason uh, that that Mary that God chose to to create Mary from the the first moment of her existence without sin was in light of or in view of her first future divine maternity. The fact that she would, uh, uh, when she was older, obviously uh, become the mother of His Son, uh, the mother of Christ. Um, so in other words, it wasn't, I mean, and obviously it's a great gift that Mary received. Nothing, by the way, that she obviously could do to earn it. Um, this is one of those areas where I think we see clearly the, the gratuity of grace, the fact that God gives it to us freely. Certainly Mary, being literally a single cell at that moment, could do nothing to earn God's <laughs> grace. Um, but God bestowed it upon her uh, freely, gratuitously, as he does all of us, even right. when we, are, for us, we are older. Right. And I think it's uh, 
it's a beautiful thing to understand in that way the humility um, for the first moment of her existence of uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary that uh, that is that, that humility that we see in her at various moments you know in the Annunciation her humility in the public uh, ministry of Jesus her humility in standing at the foot of the cross uh, her, her uh, humility in uh, Pentecost and praying with uh, uh, the apostles and the disciples. It all has this foundation in that reality uh, that everything she has is a free gift from God. And yeah, and she obviously as she she grew, she came to realize that in a way that well, you know, I don't know about a, you can, a unique way, but certainly uh, uh, with with greater depth than than you and I and, and the rest of us typically understand that everything we have is a gift from God. And I, that's one of the things that over the last few years when it comes to, to Mary and her role that I've really, I don't know, grown in, in understanding of and affection for. We talk about Mary, the church talks about Mary as as her son's greatest disciple. Uh, Mary is the greatest saint because she, she said yes to God most fully, most completely, more than any other human person uh, in history. Um, it wasn't and there are a lot of things about that that struck me. One thing that struck me uh, when I first started to think about that uh, more particularly was it wasn't by merely, so to speak, by the fact that she was or that she was Jesus's mother. Certainly, that <laughs> that was a, a unique and, and, and an incredible gift that she received, able to be the mother of God. But it wasn't just that that makes her the greatest saint and the greatest of his disciple. It's the fact that in every moment she always said yes to God. The saints are those who say yes. They they hold nothing back, and Mary more than anybody else um, always said yes to God. And then the other thing that has really struck me about that, flowing from that, um, Mary didn't, as far as we know at least, and pr- I think pretty confidently we can say Mary didn't uh, go to the ends of the earth and baptize tens of thousands of people. She didn't, you know, proclaim the gospel even in in the Holy Land, as far as we know, in terms of going out like Paul or Peter and so on. It was in that, that, that hiddenness that we talk about a lot with, with regard to Jesus's most of his life in Nazareth, but Mary's entire life in many ways, it was just by being a, a woman, a mother, by always saying yes to God in the ordinariness, quote unquote, of, of human life, um, that she became God's greatest, Jesus's greatest disciple um, and the most beloved of God's uh, heavenly father's children. That's really, and there's a, I think there's a lot there to think about, Father. Well, I, I think it goes to, there's an awful lot there to think about. You can think about that in terms of the importance of the Christian Sabbath and the meaning of him with the source of human dignity. I think you could look at this in terms of uh, uh, also as well, just what is the meaning of sanctity? What is the meaning of holiness? Right. Uh, and even just, uh, uh, there's many ways that you can take that. I think just, you know, this whole idea of, you know, that she's the greatest of all disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It's following him, being conformed to him, to being conformed to the very depth of your soul. And so in that sense, there's always ways that we need to grow. So just as for the Blessed Virgin Mary, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of salvation she received in the womb, uh, first moment of her conception, the gifts of the Holy Spirit they received at the Annunciation at Pentecost, uh, none, none of those were, were, were the terminal. None of those were the end. Right. There was always still a deepening in grace and love and grace that she was called into deeper and deeper every day. Um, in that sense, which I think is, is, is beautiful. And you think about the dynamics of the human person, how each day we're a new person. 
Uh, each each new day is a gift to the Father's love for us to be alive again, and so um, and so for her, she can continue to grow each day in uh, the grace of our Lord, ever deeper, ever uh, more in love with Him. Uh, thinking about that too, in terms um, just in. Well, she didn't go and baptize uh, all the nations. She was like one of the apostles. She was sent out in that way. She still set the world on fire by her faith. Right. Um, I'm thinking of there's the uh, very inspiring quote from St. Catherine of Siena. Um, if you are what you're meant to be, you will set the world on fire. Right. And, 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 and that's where, you know, I, one thing that, that um, I don't know, I, I've come to realize is what's, what's true greatness in this context, yeah, there was a once upon a time I I taught a course on modern church history and and um, the the French Catholic historian um, okay and I, I I'm going to mangle the French but Henri Henry Daniel Rops or however you pronounce it uh, when he talks about the early medieval period with Machiavelli the the great Italian uh, well, there I use the term great um, <laughs> the the Italian writer who wrote the Prince and the so notorious on, the notorious the infamous uh, Nikolai Machiavelli the evil. Well, I don't know. It's something like that. Uh, anyway, but, but Daniel Rops, or how you pronounce his name in French, makes the point that Machiavelli uh, really changed the way that we think about greatness. And so now you can be... So, for instance, sometimes we hear so-and-so is a great sinner. Prior to the modern period, that would have been a contradiction in terms. Right. Uh, and the other thing, great... And so so we assume somehow we, we, we connote or we... we uh, Associate greatness with uh, doing Mag- big things, good or magnitude. bad. With what? Sorry. It, it, with magnitude, it's simply become a word of size as opposed to a word of value. Exactly. Uh, and, and and so when it comes to, we're called to be a great disciple and do great things for God. That doesn't necessarily mean, um, as you said, things of magnitude. Do, Converting tens of thousands or thousands or even hundreds, it means in the in in the the ordinary in every moment of my life, even in its ordinariness, continually saying yes to God, and in that I can become truly great in the in the proper sense of the term. Right. Well, and I think that also speaks to what I mentioned there about in the Blessed Virgin Mary. There's a beautiful lesson on Sabbath rest. You know, in 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 what does our uh, goodness and what does our value? Uh, uh, reside? Does it reside in the fact that um, I do many things or is it the fact that um, you know, I'm, I'm following the Lord? Uh, and we think about how many people have a hard time observing the Sabbath because you know, they feel like they're not worth something. They feel like they need to get something done. I need to be productive because my value and my worth isn't based on productivity as opposed to the simple fact that I exist and that I'm cherished by the Lord. Right. Right. Yeah, I think here the the, the uh, 20th century German Catholic philosopher Joseph Pieper, uh, who wrote uh, a book that's that's it's well known among some, leisure the basis of culture, uh, and the importance of of leisure as the basis for culture for for building up a Christian culture, a Catholic culture. Uh, we need times of rest uh, for many reasons, but among them, it's the well, rest is the wellspring of creativity. Right. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I have to say I feel very secure about that book because I know very much about it, but I've never read it. Amen, Father. Uh, and so, I'm just practicing a spirit of leisure in regard to Joseph Pieper's book, Leisure: The Basis of Culture. Absolutely. And for that, I feel much more cultured. Yeah, it, as we all should. Um, as cultured as a container of yogurt. <laughs> 
Okay. So I don't know how to transition from that, to be honest. There's no uh, chance. Okay. There's, there's no, no chance. transition. And so, uh, yes, exactly. So go to commercial and we come back. Uh, and now we're talking about the Immaculate Conception again. Um, you know, one thing What's I think. commercial for? <laughs> What's that commercial? I don't know. Christmas at the Cathedral? Christmas at the Cathedral. Christmas concert at the Cathedral, December 16th, 17th, 18th, 18th and 19th. And 19th? Yep. Go to it. It's going to be beautiful. If you've never been, do go, and you will get a you get a glimpse, a peek at the beautiful renovation, restoration work going on in St. Joseph's Cathedral. An appetizer, if you will. Indeed. Um, one thing I think, Father, with regard to the American conception, that you know, another thing that maybe another dimension of it, or another aspect of Mary in it, in regard to it, that we sometimes forget. Certainly, Mary. So Mary was conceived without sin. Uh, she came to be from the most of her first moment of her existence without sin. But we also hold and teach as Catholics and as as do the the Eastern Orthodox that Mary remained sinless her entire life. So again, that reality that that Mary uh, not only was created without sin, Adam and Eve were created without sin as well, and yet of course they fell. Mary never said no. She always said yes to God uh, in spite of whatever temptations she may have endured. Um, certainly not interiorly because she was free from the stain of sin, original sin, but, but certainly uh, from the outside uh, externally. She always uh, uh, said no to temptation, always said yes to God, uh, which is another sign of her deep faith and, and her, the greatness of her discipleship. Right. And all those things, fruits of our Lord's passion and resurrection. And I think it also shows the difference in that sense of the gift of God, of creation and then the new creation of uh, the creation of, uh, of matter and Adam and Eve and the new creation, of the spirit uh, by our Lord and Savior. And uh, uh, it also becomes then a source of hope for us as well. Right. Yeah. Um that this is a gift that God gives not just to Mary, uh, obviously in a unique way to Mary, but he offers uh, the same grace that preserved her from sin. He doesn't give us to the same way, but he offers it to us as well. And we receive, of course, in our baptism and in the other sacraments uh, as well. Um, so the feast, this solemnity, this highest feast of the Mary conceived without sin. Um, what's What's the point, if Father? If somebody were to pose it to you, and if you want to throw, well, offer my thoughts after you offer yours. Um, why is this an important feast? What, what does this tell us? Maybe beyond what we've already said, somehow um, about God, about Mary, about Christ, any of that. What, when somebody asks you, what's the point in this, Father? How, what are some thoughts on how you reply to that? Well, I have to ask a question first. Go ahead. Will this podcast air before total five, five thirty, or seven p.m. on this day? <laughs> no. Okay, because I don't want to give away my homily. Okay, don't. To anyone else who uh, who might be there, so just you, you'll just, be fine. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think for me the significance. I think kind of my focus, at least in the way uh, my heart's being led in this Advent season this year, is really on the example that it shows for us of how um how god can tune the human heart to hear his voice how god can tune the human heart to hear his voice and um and I, so, so I, the way that i'm kind of thinking about the immaculate conception today is that um this gift given to uh, our mother was so that her heart would be ready to respond to sing at the touch at the first sound of uh 
uh, of our Lord's voice when he called her both indirectly and specifically um, in her life in those ordinary ways, uh, growing up and just hearing the scripture and things like that. And then um, in the specific way of, um, in particular way of the Annunciation uh, in Nazareth. Um, so her heart was ready to hear that. And so I think for us, I think the sentiments for us is then that when we struggle sometimes to hear the voice of God, and I, I can hear this from time to time from people, you know, I don't know how to hear God. I don't know how to listen to God. I don't hear him anymore. Um, we need to keep asking him for that gift to be able to hear his voice. Even hearing him is a gift uh, itself. And there's oftentimes healing that we need to have from sin, from the wounds of sin, where maybe we become too accustomed to the voice of this world, to the voice of uh, Satan, the master of this world. Um, and uh, uh, and to be healed from maybe those ways, too, that we've given maybe a false judgment against God, even, uh, just as we face difficulty in our own lives. Hmm. Hmm. And so that's the, well, if that's the homily that you would, you're going to give tonight. We just More or less. We just got it. So... How, how do we know, though, that, that this, I mean... In order for that to be the case, we have to know that this is true. How do we know that this... I mean, none of us were... Obviously, none of us were there. So how do we know? That Mary was immaculately conceived? Yeah. Because uh, the church tells me. Oh. Or is that too... Is, is that too uh, medieval of an answer? <laughs> I think it is. No. <laughs> well, so, we see... And I think the church in its readings... Um, you know, gives to us the example of sinful hearts in Adam and Eve, where um, after the fall, when our Lord approaches them, what's their response but to hide themselves in shame? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're and so they're not receptive to hearing His voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, they flee from His voice. They're afraid of His voice in the garden. In that reading from Genesis, and then in uh, the reading in Luke's Gospel, the Annunciation, we hear that Mary is ready to respond. She may not understand. She doesn't have that human understanding, but she's ready to respond. She trusts. Uh, the voice of God in his messenger, uh, Gabriel. Even so, even to the degree that she doesn't know how this can happen. How can this be? I'm not man. She, as you know, she still trusts and certainly, is, as you were saying, a great model for us that way. Be it done to me according to thy word. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that strikes me uh, as, as often, uh, yeah, it struck me about this feast and, and its connection. Because some people say, well, what? Wh- could God have done another way? Well, sure he could have, but as particularly the medieval... It's a nice thing about being God. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fitting that he did it this way. Um, you re- we talk about Adam and Eve again, as you just were, and, and mentioned them earlier. Uh, a lot of the early fathers of the church talk about how um, Mary untied the knot of disobedience that, that Eve had tied. So so with Adam and Eve as, as our first parents... Um, God comes into the world. Again, we have a man, Jesus, but also a woman, Mary, involved in the the the, the activity of salvation, uh, just as Adam and Eve were involved in the activity of sin. Now, certainly, Jesus is the Redeemer. Um, Mary is not God. She is not the Redeemer. Uh, but she does participate in a close way uh, with our Lord's uh, salvific work, obviously by being, bringing him um, into the world through 
bearing him and giving birth to him, but then by following him herself and offering him as her son, uh, so to speak, on the cross. Um, so that, but then also one, one, of the, one of the things that particularly strikes me, you know, the Old Testament, and again, the context is, why, why, did, why would God conceive Mary without sin? Um, the Old Testament, we have uh, God gives Moses his word on the Ten Commandments those stone tablets. And those stone tablets, uh, of course, went into the Ark of the Covenant, and God dwelled among his people um, within, upon the Ark of the Covenant. Right. And there's that, that, that uh, well, famous to some of us, um, incident in, in the Old Testament where David was leading the Ark of the Covenant, uh, dancing in front of the Ark as it was being brought to Jerusalem. Uh, Father is uh, uh, pantomiming dancing for me. Liturgical dance? I don't think so. Um, for, anyway. <laughs> so so David is the, and, and the ark starts to fall and one of the 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 men carrying the ark um goes to touch it to grab it uh, because they were carrying it on poles they were actually to touches it and actually go ahead was it was on an ox cart or was it on poles I, well that's a good question I thought at this point it was an ox cart. Maybe it was an ox cart. In any case, nobody was literally carrying it with their hands. It starts to fall, and a man goes to stabilize it, and he dies. And not because God is vindictive or cruel, but because the ark is all holy, uh, consumed with holiness, God's presence. And this guy is not. And he's not, and ne'er the twain shall meet, so to speak. Um, the, this, this, this sinner, like we all are, could not bear the intensity of holiness which, which the ark bore. It was fitting, therefore, in God's plan and providence that also in the new covenant, when the word himself became man, that the vessel that would bear him would also be completely free of sin, completely sinless, all holy. And so the, the church of meditating on this um, over time, and it did take too long for her to come to, to see that Mary was the new ark, uh, the ark of the new covenant, and that just as the Old Testament ark was all holy, so too was she. And in fact, in the East, they don't really refer to it under the title of Mary conceived without sin, the Eastern Christians, Catholic and Orthodox, they refer to, refer to her as Panhogion, the all holy one. Um, Again, because Panhagion? she yes, yes, Panhagion, uh, the All Holy One. Um, so, so that that's one of the things that just that I think that's pretty cool, theologically speaking. So, very much so. I think it's it's what we call uh, typology: the fact that there are images in the Old Testament that find their fulfillment in the New Testament. Right. And so, in that sense. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, uh, even in all their glory that uh, Indiana Jones uh, sought after. Um, instead, it's just a, a foreshadow of the good thing to come in uh, the gift to Our Lady in uh, the way that her heart and soul are prepared in this way, more beautiful than any work of human hands, even human hands that are working on the plan given to them by God. Exactly. And once again, it's God's freedom, his grace. And, and, and I think the important thing to point out here, and, and, and the church also makes this clear, is that the, the, the grace that, that preserved Mary from sin, that kept her free from sin, was the grace, paradoxically, won by her son on the cross some 40 or 50 years later. 
Uh, the church teaches that, that, that again, Mary w- uh, did nothing couldn't do anything to earn the grace but not only that it was the grace that Christ won uh, Christ won on the cross that saved his mother from sin in her immaculate conception um, so God, because he's outside of time and because the, 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 the Christ's act of redemption and salvation on the cross, in a sense, transcends space and time, that the graces that he won for the salvation of, of humanity could be applied retroactively in time uh, uh, prior to his conception in Mary's womb when she was a young girl. In fact, going back to her conception in her mother's womb at the first moment of her existence. Bing. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, uh, um, and that was not an advertisement for any search engines. No. Um, I just think it's, it almost sounds like you got the quality of Star Trek or science fiction writing there. How, how what a debt of gratitude science fiction writers must owe to Catholic theology. <laughs> you, you want to elaborate on that? Well, I mean, it just it's, it's it's cool. I mean, God's outside of space and time, right? And so, uh, His salvation and the grace of his salvation, He applied as a singular gift uh, to His mother outside of space and time, in space and time, though before His salvation happened in space and time. Exactly. And so, there's a whole lot of space time continuums going on here. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's probably why I liked a lot the show Lost so much when it was on TV. <laughs> Not this. <laughs> so, so anyway, and by the way, the other thing I thought uh, I made a note much earlier in the podcast, I think just uh, a parenthetical remark. Um, today we don't celebrate her birth. We celebrate her Immaculate Conception. But we do, nine months from now, on September 8th, we do celebrate the birth of Mary. Um, so we, so we, it's not just her conception. It is also her birth that we do celebrate. So, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Um, anything else, Father, that you think is uh, interesting or pertinent or helpful to know about this solemnity? I think maybe just um, I need an analogy that just kind of came to my attention would be um, and on the whole idea of how her heart was prepared to receive the word of God by this gift. Um, think about uh, an unborn baby and how, like, you know, the mother talking to that unborn baby uh, or the father talking to that unborn baby starts to accustom that baby's ears to the sound uh, of of mother or father, or even um, I know of a couple here in Brookings where uh, with several children and two of the middle children, uh, when the younger uh, uh, of the two was in the womb, the one that was immediately older to it was so fascinated with the idea of having uh, a baby brother or sister that each day um, she'd go up to her mom's belly and just say, "Hey, baby." Uh, this is your sister, and I can't wait for you to come out. I can't wait for you to be here. And those two uh, have this really special and beautiful bond even now when they're, um, like, I think two or three years old for one and uh, five years old for the other. And they have this they've had this real special bond throughout all their years just because of um, that close affection even from uh, the first moment of the womb. Hmm. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. The, the other thing I thought of, somewhat separate from that, that I, I think is good to remember, is that Mary, it's Mary under the title or 
in, in, in regard to the fact that she was conceived without sin. She is the patroness of the United States. Yes. Um, so for us in particular, so, you know, some of the, when some of the holy days of obligation fall on Saturday or Monday, the obligation to attend mass is, is dispensed from. Uh, November 1st, for instance, was a, a case this year. But because Mary conceived without sin is the patroness of the United States, this is a, a, a feast which we hold in particular regard. And so it doesn't matter what day of the week it falls on. It's always a holy day of obligation for us, um, be, precisely because of, of the importance of who Mary is and how we, we, we seek her intercession for our country. But if it falls on a Sunday, we move it to the Monday, don't we? We do. Because You're right. Sunday and Advent trumps it. Yes, we move it to the ninth. You are correct. We can... Yes, Advent does take precedence. Absolutely. See, if you like poker, you'd love Catholicism because there's trumps all over the place. <laughs> You're fired. What? <laughs> Trump, Donald Trump, the oh. Come oh. on. Come on. So on that happy and ever so relevant note, <laughs> we'll, we'll draw this. I, I'm ending this podcast with a Donald Trump reference. Oh, well. Uh, we'll draw the podcast to a close. Sorry, no cute YouTube videos for you to listen to this time. Father, any, any closing thoughts you want to share with us as we wrap this up? In the words of uh, that Bishop Swain loves to uh, uh, end with, God bless you and Mary keep you. Amen, and we will see you next week.